0: I think that what we're seeing is truly remarkable. Individuals that are coming together, individuals that are saying, well, because our patients can't have visitors, we're going to spend a couple extra minutes. We're going to provide them with you know, that personal touch that we've always done, but step it up to a level that is just amazing. I never thought that
1: we could do. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today my guest is Dave Cohn, the Chief Medical Officer of the James. We're recording this on April 8th in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so that's what we're gonna focus on today, how COVID-19 impacts people with cancer, why they're more at risk and how they can stay as safe as possible. And how the James is dealing with this unprecedented medical issue and how Dave and his team at the James are still taking such great care of their patients. Thanks for doing this, Dave. Thanks, Steve, for having me.
0: It's an incredible uh, time that we're having and certainly an important topic to let our listeners know uh, what's going on in the world of the James and as it relates to COVID-19.
1: Now, you and everyone at the James are considered essential personnel, essential workers, a term that we've, we, has become very common the past few weeks. And cancer, as we know, never takes a break. People are still being diagnosed every day. They're still being treated every day with chemo and radiation. So kind of walk us through what's going on at the James in terms of taking care of, of all your patients.
0: So the James is at a really interesting place right now. Um, as many have heard, the state of Ohio and the governor and the surgeon general across the United States has recommended cancellation of elective surgeries so we've had some elective surgeries that were canceled. Um, we have fewer patients than we typically do currently in the James, as, at least in part as a result of that. So everything is incredibly calm right now. Uh, we are continuing to do things that we do as normally as we can. There are a lot of differences, however, besides just the surgeries that aren't being done for the elective cases. We have no visitors in our hospital right now. Uh, a really challenging decision that we made to try to minimize the chance of increasing the rates of infection across our community uh, and within our, within our healthcare system. So it's strangely quiet here in the James right now.
1: Now there are still patients in beds. Oh,
0: absolutely. There are still patients in beds. The care is still ongoing. The cancer surgeries that are necessary are still ongoing. Patients that are in the hospital are getting chemotherapy when they need chemo and radiation within the hospital is still ongoing it just is a very different environment without the family and the friends. And, you know, our, our volunteers are not here. There's nobody playing piano in the lobby. So it's a very different feeling.
1: Oh, I hadn't thought of that. And I want to get and on my list toward the end. I do want to talk about this social distancing term, although it's not a term we like. We like physical distancing because we want to keep the social aspect. People are still coming in for uh, their normal chemo and radiation therapies, right? They sure are. So our outpatient facilities
0: are continuing to do the work that we do for the patients that are here for chemotherapy and for radiation. There still are follow-up visits that are being seen as well in our clinics. But what is very different, Steve, is that we're doing things now that if we can identify that a patient doesn't have to be physically seen by a provider face-to-face, that we're doing a lot of visits now either by telephone or by video conference. So the use of these technologies that we've been working on for years to see how can we get to a life of virtual oncology, we're doing now in literally, we tried to do it over the last few years. We have developed a program of virtual oncology now over the last few weeks and days. So we're doing a lot of visits by telephone. We're doing a lot of visits by video chat as well. And for our patients that are getting chemotherapy, rather than them going first to get their lab drawn and then up to an examination and a consultation with their provider and then upstairs for chemotherapy, we're doing things now where more commonly we're consolidating that care in a a single location so that patients are more efficiently moving through our system, decreasing the number of contacts that they have with healthcare providers and minimizing the chance that they're going to ever be at risk for developing COVID-19 infection.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point with teleconferencing it is is exploding in fact we're doing this uh, podcast instead of in the normal studio we're doing it on zoom and it just seems like this is, is going to change medicine forever in the sense that there's going to be more of these teleconferencing meetings to you're make things more just economical and faster
0: you're absolutely right and so there's a lot of things that we're doing because we have to now because of COVID 19 which I think are gonna be durable after COVID-19. And I think virtual, he- virtual health and virtual uh, oncology is one of those things. So there's a lot of value in being able to communicate with a patient uh, in their own home, in their own community, minimizing sometimes our patients that drive three, four more hours right. to see us. So there's a lot of opportunity that we have after this is gone, uh, where we're gonna, we're gonna figure out what are we gonna keep that we never thought we would use and which things are we going to go back to the way that we were doing them before but certainly the the chemotherapy treatments the radiation treatments are are ongoing the you know surgeries that are required those things are ongoing and they'll continue to on, to go on uh, throughout this process
1: now in addition to being the chief medical officer of the james you are also a gynecologic uh, surgeon and oncologist so you see patients in clinic and operations how have you been handling that the past couple of weeks, how are you connecting with patients? How are you doing procedures?
0: Yeah, so things are, are certainly different. Um, the, the volumes of surgeries are less. Uh, the number of patients seem to be less as well. Um, we're doing, as I said, a lot more virtual oncology. And so, for example, my clinic, um, I typically see patients on a Thursday. And what we've done is we've gone through my list of patients, figured out which one of those patients have to be seen face-to-face which one of those patients we can see virtually, and then figuring out of those patients, which ones need to have a video conference because they have the technology to do so, for example, and which ones need to be seen or heard by telephone. So that's the, that's the rigor that we're undergoing. It really is a patient-by-patient patient decision about what cancer care looks like. Um, and then the other part of it is just that there is certainly a lot of attention being paid to what can we all do as a community to minimize the transmission of COVID-19. And that includes following the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC's guidelines uh, about the use of, you know, hand washing and hand sanitizer, which we've always done in healthcare, But now seeing our patients do that on a regular basis is really encouraging uh, to decrease that number of patients that we're going to see at our maximum. Uh, and also our healthcare providers are now wearing masks. And that was a policy that changed a week ago. So it looks a lot different than it used to in terms of, you know, the physical appearance, as I talked about, with volumes and masking. Um, but again, care continues to go on for our cancer population.
1: Now, one of the things I'm curious, when we talk about elective surgeries, in cancer, it doesn't, as opposed to maybe other areas of medicine there just doesn't seem to be that many elective surgeries, but maybe I'm wrong. What's an example of an elective surgeries now that are, that are being postponed for a bit?
0: No, I think you're exactly right, is that the impact of elective surgeries is substantially less in the cancer world than it is in the not-cancer world. And so there are some elective things that are, that are happening that used to happen, and those things are, you know, for example, after breast cancer, uh, reconstructive surgery or revisions of reconstructions are things that could wait without there being a negative impact on a cancer-related outcome. We're not saying don't do it ever. We're saying hold off and just wait until post-COVID whenever that's going to be. And just the rationale behind those decisions is that part of the goal is we want to make sure that all the beds that we have available are available when the largest number of patients that need them occur. So when the surge of COVID-19 patients happens we want to make sure that we're as empty as we can be. And that means minimizing the chance that patients that have surgery are going to take up a bed unless it's necessary. And likewise, we want to make sure that some of the equipment that's required to care for our sickest patients, like respiratory ventilators, things that keep the lungs moving if a patient is sick from COVID where their lungs aren't working, those are things that are utilized in almost every surgical procedure. So we don't want to use them for a surgical procedure
1: if they're going to be okay. needed for the surge of patients. Well, that that's perfect. That leads me into the surge. Let's talk about that. And maybe perhaps you could start by talking about, I'm sure you have some type of, by you, I mean the James, has some type of command center or leadership teams that are getting organized and preparing for the surge, which from what we understand could be the the end of April, the beginning of May, when the most numbers of people diagnosed with COVID-19 are, are expected to occur, as many as 10,000 a day here in Ohio.
0: Yeah, and so we're, we're hoping that it's not that many, but it could be. Um, the dates that you're quoting seem to be correct from the estimates that we hear at this point in time, but those change literally on a daily basis. Um, But as you mentioned, the command center, there's a structure through emergency management um, that's been utilized for years and years that are put together in reaction to an emergency um, or are put together in preparation for an emergency as well. And so when we began recognizing that COVID-19 is an emergency that's going to affect our hospitals and central Ohio, There was the organizational structure across the entire Wexner Medical Center, uh, which includes the James, to put together this leadership team uh, that has a very strict structure to it uh, that's divided up into a variety of different groups that focuses on how can we make sure that our supply chains for the personal protective equipment is preserved? How can we make sure that we are maximizing the ability to care for our patients within the walls of our hospitals and clinics? But also, what do we do if the number of patients exceeds the capacity within our walls? Where do we go to next within the university? Where do we go to next outside of the university? For example, the governor's talked about the Columbus Convention Center Center as as a location where we could see patients if needed. And it's really fascinating, Steve, because we're actually organizing with Ohio Health and Mount Carmel Systems within central Ohio so that we can utilize that convention center for the, for the benefit of all of the patients across all three systems throughout Central Ohio.
1: You know, I just learned this recently that the four main hospital groups in Central Ohio are part of this Central Ohio hospital organization and met, already we're meeting monthly basis, but now are meeting much more regularly to plan exactly what you told me and all four are coordinated and, and ready to help each other.
0: Absolutely. And so the way that I would frame what we've done so far is that because of the incredible work that the community has done to stay at home, to wash your hands, to to perform that physical distancing if you're out in public, all of those things increases the time between today and when that peak hits. And the reason why that's so important from our standpoint is that the longer that we have, the better that we're going to be to prepare for that increased number of patients. The best-case scenario for us would be that we do all of this work, months and months of preparation. We get the convention center ready. We're on daily phone calls. Hours of our day are spent planning, and yet we don't need any of it. That is the dream opportunity that we hope to be in a few weeks from now.
1: Yeah, let's hope that the surge isn't as high as people are talking about. And before we go to a break, I think it's important for people to understand Particularly, I think cancer patients themselves understand, but the people around them need to understand why they're more at risk or why it's more dangerous for them if they contract COVID-19.
0: So I think that's really key to this discussion as it relates to cancer and COVID-19. So we know that immunosuppression is a decrease in the immune system that leads people to have challenges in fighting off conditions or infections. And cancer in and of itself is immunosuppressive. It leads to a drop in the immune system. So patients with cancer are at a higher risk in and of themselves to contract viruses. And likewise, cancer treatment also does the same thing. Chemotherapy, radiation therapy decreases the body's capacity to fight off infection because of the effect on the immune system. So you've got patients on the front end that are at higher risk for contracting COVID-19 and on the back end at higher risk for having complications from COVID-19 because of their immunosuppression, because of their cancer treatments themselves.
1: So that's why it's so much more important that they stay self-isolated, stay inside, avoid uh, being around other people. That's exactly right. And so
0: everything that we tell the general population to do is exactly what we tell our our cancer patients to do as well. We don't tell them to do anything differently. It's just stressing the importance in the population that's at highest risk for getting COVID or for having complications if they do get it, just emphasizing how critically important it is for them to control their environment and decrease the probability that they're ever going to contract COVID-19.
1: And that's kind of the heartbreaking part about it is if you have a parent or a sibling or a child with cancer who's not living in your house already, you can't go and visit them.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of ways, though, that um, we hear about our patients and their families and friends working to create that social connection. And I know we were going to talk about that in some more detail, but it's just so important um, that if there's physical isolation, and if you really think about it, cancer as a diagnosis leads to physical isolation many oh, times, right, yeah. and also social isolation. You know, there's a stigma associated with it. Someone walks down the street with a scarf on their head. I think people tend to to feel awkward around that. And so I think cancer patients have a sense of a physical and an emotional isolation at the baseline. And then you add COVID-19 and the mandate for physical isolation. That means that the social interactions become even more critically important in cancer patients during this time than ever.
1: Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back with Dave, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. about, Again, we're not calling it, Uh, social distancing, we're going to call it physical distancing, and ways to maintain relationships, ways to remain healthy with exercise, with healthy food, and just ways to make the best of this just unprecedented situation.
0: A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066.
1: We're back with Dave Cohn, the chief medical officer of the James, and we're talking about COVID-19 and its impact on the James, on cancer patients and their caregivers. And so Dave, let's talk about some of the 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 issues of people who, cancer patients, their caregivers, who are at home, who can't get out as much, who can't have as many visitors. What are you, What are you hearing from them? What are some of the advice you're giving them? Yeah, and
0: so when you think about the life before COVID-19, I think the things we would talk to cancer patients about in general are taking care of yourself. um, And that means taking care of yourself with healthy nutritional choices, um, regular exercise as well. And being, I think not just physically, but emotionally in a good place to undergo the treatments that are recommended by their healthcare providers. And I'd say that because of the requirement for the physical uh, distancing to minimize the spread of COVID-19, all of these things become even more important. Somebody the other day told me that they're experiencing their COVID-19. And I said, oh my gosh, you're telling me you have an infection of COVID-19. And she said, no, no, no. It just means that I'm gaining 19 pounds because of my (laughs) physical isolation at home.
1: Right, yes.
0: (laughs) And And that really struck me because it just highlights the importance that when we're out of our regular routines, Um, you have to be really cognizant of making good choices, good choices when it comes to food, good choices when it comes to getting out and being physically active as well, and good choices when it's uh, the time to take care of yourself, whether it is through mindfulness, uh, through meditation, through reflection, through journaling, through reading, whatever it is that we can all do to get ourselves through this unprecedented situation, knowing that we'll get out on the other side uh, but while we're here, we've got to do whatever we can uh, to take care of ourselves.
1: Now, I was fortunate just the other day, I happened to talk to, um, to James uh, Psychosocial Oncology therapists about this very topic, Davida, Streva, and Wanda McIntyre. And let me quick go through some of the tips they gave me to pass on to other people. And one of the things is to try to keep a normal routine, to get up at the same time of day, to get dressed, to have breakfast, to sort of make a a list of tasks you wanna accomplish. And again, to remain connected to people, Zoom, Facebook, FaceTime, Ah, uh, telephone and oh one of the fascinating things they told me which I'm going to try to pass on to my parents who aren't very good with technology there's a thing called the GrandPad have you heard of this i have not but i can't wait to hear more about it it's like a easy senior oriented ipad that's really easy to use it's called the GrandPad and you can look it up online if you have parents or grandparents who are struggling with the technology cuz i sounds- know
0: Easier than the strategy of putting tape over all buttons that people shouldn't use, uh, for example, on a remote control. So I think that's a, the gram pad. I'll
1: have to look into that one. Okay. Yeah, I'd never heard of it either. Um, uh, digging out boxes of puzzles, crafts, knitting, uh, sewing, hobbies, reading books... Um, binging TV. What if? Well, I was going to say, what have you been binging on TV? But you probably are working harder now than you ever have.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot of preparation, and so I've not watched a lot of television. Um, I've intermittently gotten swept up in uh, episode of Tiger King here and there when my when my family is watching it. Um, but it's not been a lot of television binging. But again, I think that whatever people can do, whatever that looks like. To get their mind into the right place to get through this, I think that's really critically important.
1: Now, I did watch Tiger King, and what a, 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 a just fascinating and scary show. And one of the things, which is really interesting, one of these therapists said is be careful of what you binge watch. You don't want a show that's horrible and depressing, you want more uplifting fun, joyous, happy things like your favorite sitcom or romantic comedy. You don't want to be watching things that are going to depress you.
0: Yeah. And I can tell you from my perspective, Steve, is that while I don't have time to watch television, I've made a commitment to reach out to friends that I have not spoken with in a while. And to me, that's been one of the most therapeutic um, initiatives that I've undertaken. So folks from high school, from college, from medical school who I haven't seen or spoken with in a while, or friends from other areas, I'll pick up the telephone or just randomly set up a Zoom call and connect with people that I've not thought that I had time to in the past. I think now more than ever, while people do have a little bit more time, but even if you don't, it is the time to reestablish these connections, more so now than than ever.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea and great advice. And maybe just like teleconferencing for medical calls, this will be another sort of consequence of this is instead of allowing technology to separate us, we're going to start using technology more to bring us together.
0: I think that that's exactly the way that we've perceived it. And, you know, we've talked to our patients that have undergone the video visits or the phone visits just to kind of get a sense for how's that feeling to them. And what you realize is that the better we get at it, you can actually make it more of an interactive discussion that patients really are seeming to, in some ways enjoy, it's almost, you spend a couple extra social minutes with patients when you do it this way compared to when you see them face to face, that's more transactional. And I think that doing it by video conference for whatever reason leads to a little bit of a, you know, of a more personal touch, which is really fascinating.
1: Well, let's end with something that we've been hearing a lot about in the news and, and all thinking about, and that's sort of medical professionals are now being called heroic, which I think is, is totally appropriate. So talk a little bit about, uh, I know you're modest and you're not going to talk about yourself as being heroic, but the people at the James around you, who you work with, the doctors, the nurses, the, the, all the staff, all the thousands of people that are making this work.
0: Again, I'm not so sure that I would say that everybody is heroic in what we do. Um, but I know that we're all absolutely passionate and committed to caring for patients. And if you start with that general principle, um, I think that what we're seeing is truly remarkable. Individuals that are coming together, individuals that are saying, well, because our patients can't have visitors, we're gonna spend a couple extra minutes. We're gonna provide them with you know that personal touch that we've always done, but step it up to a level that is just amazing. I never thought that we could do. Um, so To me, everybody's doing exactly what we all want to do. Um, There are amazing heroes uh, as individuals, there are heroes as teams, but I don't wanna say that we're heroes because we're doing what we're doing. I think we're heroes because it allows us to do what everyone in the healthcare field is truly passionate about, and that's taking just incredible care of patients and doing it in the right way as well. So this has really brought people together And I think that's one of those potential silver linings from COVID-19 is there's remarkable camaraderie amongst the staff. uh, And there's also camaraderie and this love between patients and their caregivers as well. And that's very special to see.
1: Well, I'm going to call that heroic and um, on behalf of everyone out there we we appreciate everything you're doing for all your patients and their caregivers and the extended community and we're going to wish you the best of luck in the weeks to come as whatever numbers of the surge comes in comes in on and hope that you're prepared for it but it seems like you're you're ready
0: thanks for having me steve i appreciate this
1: this podcast is brought to you by The Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.